I'm Abby Wamba, and you wouldn't believe how many times I've recorded this to just sound natural and calm. This is Why We Laugh. It's a podcast about why we laugh. And on it, I interview scientists and psychologists and humor writers and comedians about what makes them laugh and how they make other people laugh and what laughter's for anyway. And this is definitely the take I'm going to use because I can't do it again. I'm glad you're here, wherever you are. And I really apologize for the desperation in my voice. It's a fun show. I promise. Hi. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Sarah Hutto. Sarah is a humor writer who is so sharp and funny and wonderful. Uh, And she also turns out to be uh, those things when you talk to her out loud, too. I first encountered Sarah in a real-life paper copy of The New Yorker. I live in Copenhagen, Denmark, but I receive The New Yorker here in order to signify to everyone who comes to my house that I am the kind of person who might read The New Yorker. Sometimes I really read it. I always read Shouts and Murmurs. And then I read this article that was the best Shouts and Murmurs ever. We'll talk about it in the interview a little bit. And then went down a rabbit hole reading everything I could find that she had written. Things like, Archaeologists discover long-sought-after racist bone. Self-help books that take into account your many limitations. And modern tips for looking after your human husband. She's so good. You're going to have a great time listening to this interview. She's wonderful. And I hope that you'll read her work afterwards because I want that for you. I want you to read it. It's it's really funny. Okay. We're going to get into that interview right after messages from our sponsors, Confidence and Beanbag Chairs. Do you want to try something new without worrying what other people will think? Do you want to really go for something without thinking you're not worthy? Do you want to have any social interactions at all without replaying them afterwards and hating yourself? The answer is confidence. Confidence will have you going through your daily routines, same as usual, but without all the concern that you're really a sack of shit and everybody is just about to find out. Having confidence feels like doing stuff and being pretty sure you're not messing up, and then not being shocked about that. Unfortunately, confidence is not available anywhere. You have to want it, but not so bad that other people can tell. You can try to procure confidence on two popular paths, getting good at everything you care about, or stopping to care about anything. There are other paths to confidence, but they involve painful self-reflection and sitting with your feelings, and you don't want to do that. Do you? Confidence. Another thing you can feel bad about not having. Hey, Joel, is your chair okay? It doesn't look so good, man. Maybe you should get that thing checked out. Maybe it's something I ate. No, man. It's totally fine, aren't you, buddy? It's a beanbag chair. A beanbag chair is a garbage bag full of beans you can leave in your living room to sit on. Well, why would you want to do that? 
<laughs> Great question. Well, they're awful to get out of, but to sit on one, you just kind of have to stop standing and hope it has enough filling to soften your blow to the ground. And once you're down there, if you rich around a lot, sometimes you can find a position to sit in that only feels lumpy in the right places while you play Mario Kart. Wow, that doesn't sound so good. And it looks like my dad when he collapsed trying to run a 5K for lymphoma. But I still kind of want one. Yeah, isn't that wild? Oh, does anybody have some bear? Don't call an ambulance. It's too expensive. Beanbag chairs are available way too many places and are the only piece of furniture taking prescription blood thinners. Get one to regret one. Okay, here's the interview with Sarah Hutto. Yes, I'm Sarah Hutto. I'm a um, writer. I guess that is how I identify professionally. Uh, and a comedy person. Will you tell me about an early memory you have of laughing really hard? So when I was like uh, seven or eight, my parents took my sister and I to Disney World, um, which was, you know, awesome. And uh, they gave us each a little bit of money, like $20 or something. And we're like, you guys can, uh, you know, spend this in the gift shop. And when it's gone, it's gone. And, you know, to, and my sister kind of like um, true to her personality spent all of her money pretty quickly and was pestering my my parents. My sister's three years younger than me, by the way. So she's about five. Was pestering my my parents for more money the whole day. And they were like, no, no, you know, we're not getting any more money. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we were back in the hotel room falling asleep. Uh, it was dark, you know, going to bed. And there was this little voice that kind of like pierced the dark. <laughs> and my sister goes, my five-year-old sister goes, Daddy, where'd you keep your wallet when you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> so that's like an early, and he laughed. Everyone laughed. <laughs> so ridiculous. I think she was hoping to get one by him and was disappointed <laughs> when he just said, Go to bed. Let's stop asking me for money. Go to sleep now. <laughs> I love that she was like gonna go back to the gift shop in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> go get sleeping pills. She's like, listen. Yeah. I got need... some stuff down there. I need that Daisy Duck pin, Daddy. <laughs> Where? I need an autograph book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna fill it up. That's right. Like the like the uh, characters are wandering around all night in the <laughs> costume. Just there won't drinking. be any lines. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh my god! I'm gonna hug Goofy so hard. <laughs> <laughs> the Disney World hack is to break out of your hotel room in the middle of the night. <laughs> they should write an article about that on travel and leisure. I think you could do it. <laughs> I might be able to. I did recently write a Disney World thing, but nobody wanted it. It was like, 11, what were they thinking? I don't, I think it's just not a Disney World kind of time. It was before <laughs> the, uh, it was before the stories about Disney World recently where I can't remember what they are now. People going down there and like COVID. Yeah. 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 No, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. They just weren't into it. They'll come crawling back for that one. They might. There was a, there were a lot of jokes about having like a, a father out of 
wedlock in it like there's a narrative that might have been a little too like saucy <laughs> for some of the places I submit to so I don't know if I should take that out maybe yeah I never know where it's gonna go uh I can't wait to ask you more about that <laughs> um can you do you have an early memory of a time that you made someone else laugh really hard um well again like I guess it kind of goes back to my dad I, I think a lot of comedy people have a person that they used to kind of uh you know a laugh they would really go for so that was always it for me I remember saying something about getting a bucket of cheese from the river once <laughs> I was older but he thought that was pretty funny <laughs> uh and also was worried that I thought cheese came from a river <laughs> um which he would have been personally responsible for like if right you, oh god how did she yeah how did she yeah. skate through to adulthood <laughs> thinking cheese came from rivers yeah I can think of a time I made my dad laugh uh he always had a drink after work here we go and uh <laughs> strap in people <laughs> um and one day I I was kind of like fascinated by that. I think it was like a cognac or something, um, you know, in the glass. And I think uh, one day I asked him if I could make his drink for him. And he's like, okay, you know, there's the bottle, you know, he's like, don't drink any, but put some in the glass. And I poured him like a glass, like up to the rim of like a tall glass of <laughs> whiskey and he laughed pretty hard about that and told me it was enough alcohol to kill a horse <laughs> so that was something I guess yeah I was about three no I'm just kidding oh. I was older than that <laughs> and you were like so dad has a drink every day yeah. after work but, but not My dad that big a drink daily drinker <laughs> yeah it was like a succession of smaller drinks but like <laughs> like 10 of them no I'm just kidding your dad was a horse on a IV drip that, did you hear that horse story about the Kentucky Derby no. one of the horses have someone's been juicing the horses they've been giving them and performance enhancing drugs so these horses have been failing their drug tests so it's there's been a lot of comedy fodder about that about the horses yeah I know I missed it yeah. I've been I've been waiting for these Disney World uh saucy <laughs> Un unwed father stories yeah. you're not getting the uh full american spectrum of news no, I'm, I'm just scanning the headlines missing out yeah you're just reading about like israel but you're missing out on the disney world and the horses no if the disney world came up i would be all over it but yep yep mm -mm. um <laughs> when did you realize you were funny um well, I realized I was inappropriate <laughs> from a really young age. And um, that happened earlier. And it took longer for me to connect that to being funny and also like time and place. Like, <laughs> don't say that thing with these people when you're in the church or like, <laughs> don't do that when, you know, someone just got hurt really bad. Maybe you don't make a joke right now or and that took, but uh, I, I think I, you know, finding that there was a place to land that stuff that was appropriate made me uh, feel better. And I was like, oh, okay, I think I need to like squeeze in right there. And then I can kind of say whatever I want 
within reason. So when was that? Um, it was later on, I think. Yeah. It didn't occur to me to like actually do it with any uh, concerted effort or intention until I was like in my thirties. Oh, wow. Okay. Mid thirties. I liked funny things and funny people and comedy was always my genre, but I just felt like I was just a, uh, a bystander really. Huh. And I knew I could be kind of funny, but it just was like, okay, so I say some funny things and yeah. But then later it was like, oh, I can write them down because I, I don't know how to write stuff down. <laughs> so I could combine those two qualities and then make them into a thing. That's a, I'm really glad that you figured that out. I'm going to say this because I already told you, but now people are going to listen to this. Ten people are going to listen to this. <laughs> I want them to know. I want you ten people to know that I reached out to Sarah because my partner brought me an article that she she had, in, not an article, a piece in the New Yorker. What do we call those? Pieces? A piece. A piece, a piece. yeah. And shouts and murmurs in the New Yorker, and it was um, things that are different in Europe. He in like Europe. brought it to me like he was my cat, and it was a mouse <laughs> that he had killed for me. And I just like we both we read it out loud together, and we like cry laughed. It was so fun. We live in Denmark. I'm uh -huh. American. We moved yep. here from New York, and it was just like it was it's so funny and it was just like right in our sweet spot of experience. <laughs> so I'm a big fan. And then I read a bunch of stuff you wrote and loved all of it. So it's amazing to me to hear that you just started writing comedy in your thirties. Like when I asked you that, when did you realize you were funny? And I really thought like 12 when you said later, but that was still in the, inappropriate phase yeah and I I did things I wrote obsessively as a early teen but I wrote um just really scary poetry I just did books of <laughs> things that when I look back I'm just like oh my god like what <laughs> how did I even live through being that person <laughs> I don't know but I also would make, sometimes I'd make little comics or I would do something funny that I thought was so funny. Um, I remember one year I sent out a Christmas card. I had it printed up and it was, it was a, just a satirization of a Christmas song, which I can't even, I'm a set of say, can you see? <laughs> um, oh, Silent Night, Silent Night, I think. Uh, and, and I was just, the whole card was just, taking shots at Christmas basically <laughs> and um yeah I thought it was really great but I think so. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know if everyone was into it but uh it yeah it just it's little things would come out but then it didn't occur to me to like sit down and intentionally write a piece of writing because then when I started doing that I was like oh there's a lot more there you can uh if you have the, the right topic you can expand quite a bit can you talk about what it was like when you figured that out? You told me a story about the first piece that you started working on. Yeah, um, I started writing. I had had a baby. I'd had a second baby uh, on purpose. And I, I just was like, 
nothing was getting done. I mean, you know, the whole thing you see, it's all true. Like you're leaking and, or I don't know, maybe, you know, I didn't even ask if you have kids. I have kids. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, yes. (laughs) Okay. So, you, you know, so yeah. So just the things I would have to get together to leave the house, the amount of steps I would have to, and I'm not very organized. So it always just felt like this really chaotic scramble of like, did I take my vitamins? Do I have this thing for the baby in case my ass explodes? Do I have this change of clothes? Do I have a change of clothes for me? You know, and just the bags and bags of things. And then there's the big kid and like all the things he needs. And uh, I don't know. I just thought it was, it was so ridiculous. I knew I was never going to get a grip on it or be able to do it that well. So I was like, I'm just going to write about how insane this is because it's ridiculous. Um, And why did I think I could do this? Um, And so that was the first thing. And I think somebody had said something to me about McSweeney's, which I I didn't really know about. And so I started reading things on McSweeney's, uh, you know, and they're organized pieces of writing. And well, some of them are organized. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I was like, okay, yeah, you can just like have a format. And uh, I think, you know, that one got rejected. But the next thing I wrote for them got accepted and it was a I was making fun of a there was a list going around for people with depression I think and it was like what you know if you're feeling like giving up or if you're feeling like everything's wrong and hopeless first go down this checklist you know and it's like have you eaten have you bathed like a really valid list like I still need to do this like oh I I haven't drunk any water and it's 5 p.m you know like or I whatever but I also like made wanted to make fun of it so I wrote a new list of things that could be wrong and it was like are you jogging you know (laughs) jogging that's you're going to feel bad. Um, there was, and there, I can't remember the rest of it, but there were other things on there. That, and that one got accepted. Cool. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'm definitely going to keep doing this. What was it like after that? Did you start getting a lot of ideas after that and submit a lot right away? Yeah, no, I did. I went at it full throttle and probably a little too much. I, I, I think I'm kind of in the category editors have is like I'm a frequent oversubmitter. I I do it less now, but for 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 a few years it was a lot of submitting. And I I've, I've gotten rejected so many times. So many way more times than I've gotten stuff in print. I mean, I guess every creative person goes through that where there's times you have ideas and sometimes you have a ton of ideas and very few of them are that great. Later you look back, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, but then sometimes you just, there's no ideas. I don't know. There's like a whole attitude thing with it and a mood thing. Do you ever have something that got rejected that you just love, that you still love? Yeah, sure. Um, my Disney World piece. No. I- <laughs> We're all really upset about that one. Um, yeah, definitely. Things just cannot be the right fit or not the right timing. My first piece ever accepted by the New Yorker was a rejection from McSweeney's that the editor was like, well, it's not really doing it for me. Yeah. And and I don't think I'm the only person that's happened to, they've definitely each got their own kind of thing. And, but I liked it. I believed in it. I was like, I think this is pretty good. And I, uh, 
yeah, sent it to the New Yorker and months and months later heard back from them shockingly. And then vice versa. I've had the New Yorker turn things down that McSweeney's has taken. I've gotten things into Washington Post that other people have turned down or, and I've spent a lot of time like stalking editors and trying to find out who to email to um, and emailing editors that don't even run humor. I mean, I've done all of that uh, just be like trying to find a little avenue. I don't do this as much anymore unless now that I'm kind of trying to do something a little bigger, I try to put my energy into that, but it's daunting, I guess. So what are you trying to, what are you doing now? Okay. So a short story for one, which uh, I have a bunch of short stories that are not, you will never see luckily. Um, (laughs) And it's just something I'm trying to get the hang of. And it's not really in my wheelhouse. It's a totally different type of writing that requires a different kind of uh, commitment. And so I'm just working on that. And eventually a book, um, I have written proposals for humor books that have not gotten picked up, but um, I, I don't know, maybe a novel at some point. I'm not entirely sure I don't have it. Yeah, but it that's a whole other enchilada. I imagine that when you're working on shorter pieces and you have like, a lot of fingers in a lot of pots is yeah that, that's a yep. saying yes that it's hard to ruminate on a bigger concept if you're doing a lot of that at the same time or mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think that I was able to write a lot of short humor was that I looked at it as like I was cheating on being a mom like I was like I was stealing time from that job and Mm -hmm. uh so it was more of an outlet it was like okay I'm not supposed to be doing this but um and I think that that can be part of the head game with doing something bigger where we get writer's block or whatever it's just we psych ourselves out and it's like it's like this happens to me all the time I'll start writing a piece in my notes um app and I'll end up, you know, if I just sit in there with it and keep going, I'll get 700 words kind of like uh-huh, plunked uh-huh. out into my notes app. But if I early on migrate what I have into a, a file, mm-hmm. you know, and suddenly just like, oh, this isn't, I don't even know what I was thinking, like delete, delete. But it's that, that whole thing of like the blank screen, the big blank page mm-hmm. being daunting, I think. So you st- wrote your first humor piece when you were already a parent. You had two kids when you wrote. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm wondering how being a parent has affected your writing process, but also your sense of humor. Um, I-, I felt like it gave me a tether outside of it. I, I mean, I think I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, and-, and moms especially, um, feeling like losing yourself in the the job, not that it's just a job. I mean, I, I feel like it's more than that, but um, when you are in that kind of machine mode and especially if part of your job involves your own hormones mm-hmm. and um, you know, not only, but for me, that was a big part of it. You, you know, you really are just carrying out all these tasks that I don't know. I guess, I don't know if thankless is the word, but you're just doing it in mechanical. You're just trying to keep your head above water. And then you have these little people and, and you want to do an okay job for them. Um, 
<laughs> so having something, you know, to like be doing outside that for me, you know, especially something kind of literary, it was just, it was just a good outlet. And it did make me feel like, oh, I'm still a person, you know, mm-hmm. for a while. I, I just, I, I didn't really feel like much of a person, to be honest. Like, I just felt like, like a tote bag and a big pair of boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Get her snacks. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Do you think it mattered that it was humor? Like, do you think that the laughter piece or the finding things funny piece was important to that or just that it was something else? Um, No, I think it was important that it was yeah I don't think if I had taken up like Zumba or something <laughs> else it would have given me personally the the same satisfaction um and I have other things I do uh that do help me with some of that stuff but you know like I, I do actually weirdly go running pretty regularly um I don't really have an excuse for that mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just thinking <laughs> the other night I was like god I think I like unironically enjoy running that happened to me last year I got over it so you might okay (laughs) there's hope hope. (laughs) you might be normal it's fine things might be must be really bad if I'm yeah uh but yeah like yeah and and that's important for everyone and and especially parents you know that you have a a thing that helps you like reconnect with your body do you think though like if it had been poetry instead Mm. of humor stuff do you think that the jokes were important yeah because I when something kind of stresses me out or I have feelings about it I feel like I kind of have to make fun of it it's just important for me to do it um I don't know why I don't think I don't think it's such a bad thing it sounds like it could be bad like I have to degrade things I don't think it's like that it's just I have to be able to see it in a in a comic kind of light to just get a, a grip on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I don't think it sounds bad. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. The running thing I think sounds bad. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. Just disgusting. Really gross. Uh, yep. Yeah. I'm going to hang up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. When can you tell you have a good idea? I was thinking when I'm writing jokes... I can tell it's going to be a good joke if I have a thought and then I'm like, I have to hide this thought from people who love me because it will worry them. (laughs) And then I'm like, this is going to be a good joke. And it's something about it being um, like there's a vulnerability thing there that's like Mm -hmm. it makes it funnier to say something out loud. Mm -hmm. I wondered what if there's something that you have when you have an idea you're like this is a good idea if there's like a feeling Mm -hmm. that you could describe um I've certainly had that feeling a lot and then had it not kind of pan out for me um but there's definitely times I've had it when it's like an easy thing because because sometimes I'll have an idea and then you get into it and it's like oh there's not all that much to uh, say about this thing it's just kind of a line but if there's some kind of trope where there's ends up being a lot of material, like it can transfer over and over and you can keep writing examples and they all feel funny. I mean, that is usually a good sign. Uh, 
And, you know, it's always a good sign for me, or usually if I'm writing something and I end up laughing while I'm writing it, that doesn't usually happen, but sometimes it does. Um, but I've also done that and then had it not work, <laughs> laughed at something I was writing, <laughs> and then had editors be like, oh no, this is <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> um, Have you been running? Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah. Um, do you have a person that you share stuff with to see if they think it's funny? I used to do that. And then I kind of stopped at a point. I was just, I don't know if I got too like precious about it or something, but I, I was like, Ugh, I don't want to know what anyone thinks. I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to hear what my husband thinks. About this. I really don't give a fuck. Um, but no, sometimes I do. I, I like to sometimes read something out loud. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I, I've done that with my husband. I mean, we have a little bit of an overlap in our senses of humor, but um, not entirely. You know, like he's very much a um, South Park family guy kind of person. And while I'm not against those things, like I've certainly laughed at those shows. Um, yeah, I don't know. You're more of a things to yell in a movie theater instead of rape kind of person. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. When you said that, I was like, wow, who said that? Like, oh. You said that. Oh, right, my God. yes. I'm more of like inappropriate. Yes. Let's make rape jokes. Um, yeah. I want to clarify for the 10 listeners. They're like anti-rape jokes. They're very yes. funny. They include the word rape. I'm not pro-rape. I just wanted to <laughs> Sarah is not pro-rape. I'm not for it. I think it's bad. <laughs> um, I think it should stop. Uh, yeah. I'm leaving this part in. I really think it's important <laughs> people know your stance. Just this part, my PSA. <laughs> stop raping people. <laughs> Christ. Um, I do have a writer's group that well, sometimes... Nice. Yeah, and... and and someone invited me to it at, uh, years ago. And I was like, someone I really like who I'm friends with, but she's like, you, you want to, you know, do this? And I was like, yeah, but inside it's like, oh God, you know? And I went and I was, I remember on the way there being like, well, this isn't going to be any good. And it's like five years later, I still am with this writer's group and I'm like, so glad that they let me attend and um I really like them <laughs> oh, <laughs> just, nice. yeah. um but sometimes I'll read stuff to them which uh yeah it's interesting I mean I definitely it's good feedback because you can tell it's like okay are they laughing are they worried just the the tension of reading something to people who are sitting there listening is like always uh I don't know what is that scary yes that's it that's what it is yeah yeah that's really nice how many people are in your writers group it's like i i think officially it might be like seven but you know um and of course we haven't seen each other in person now in in over a year have you but, done it on zoom yeah we have done some on zoom mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of nice yeah, I'm always worried in that kind of situation, though, that I am going to do something and forget that I'm on camera. Yeah. Do you know there's like a thing where you can hide so you can't see yourself so you don't have to look at yourself all the time? But if I do that, 
I am so sure. Yeah. You're I gonna have pull to a look. Tubin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I have to look at myself the whole time. Otherwise to make sure. Yeah. Where's that hand? <laughs> totally. No, I'm the same. Um, the people told me about this. It was like in a group chat and all of them were like, Yeah, I don't I don't look at myself anymore. And I'm like, the self-control these people have. Yeah. And the faith in themselves. No, yeah. I just to... I would never believe. No, never. I would never do that. No. I would run before I would do that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Why do you, Sarah, Mm. why do we laugh? What is laughter for? Uh, Well, I think for me, it really does come from getting on the other side of, of processing something difficult. For me, it feels like this eruption of like, you just, I don't know, finished taking a test and you left the school and you can kind of like light up a cigarette, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, I'm smoke, but you know, figuratively like, and, and just kind of like, woo. Um, I don't know. It definitely, there's definitely connected to pain though. I mean, you hear that the tragedy plus time thing. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, a lot of uh, ridiculousness and mystery, I think, also in humans and the world and the things we deal with and the ways we interact. Um, and sometimes it's really the only appropriate response to things we might do or other people might do that we recognize as being just completely ridiculous. Do you do like embarrassed laughter or fearful laughter? The wrong times of laughter? Do you do any of that? Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of social situations I've been in where I think I've um, come off kind of like ditzy just because I'm like nervous or, you know, or laughing a lot and then saying the wrong thing and, you know, and and then on the phone with like customer service people, (laughs) like I'll make some joke about like wanting to get rid of my kids or something and then it's like you can tell who you're talking to when they they laugh they're like oh yeah me too I hate my kids you know or something like that where um nothing's worse than a customer service person who likes their kids and will tell you on the phone precious miracles (laughs) keep it to yourself or just a customer service person who's like I wasn't able to have kids (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's just it reminds me like we recently had issues with our cable guy and or not the guy (laughs) like it's the same guy every time (laughs) like you're not gonna do it anymore (laughs) yeah right he won't come back no it was the cable and the guy had to come to the house and I mean I always dread this because it's like oh god there's gonna be a person in the house even if it's for 10 minutes it's like okay that has the litter box and they can't see we live this way um but the guy I saw him pull up in his truck and my immediate thought was like here he is and he has no idea like how close we're about to be like he like I was just in that mood like he doesn't even know I have the jokes they are stacked up I am feeling sassy. I'm definitely going to get under this guy's skin. He's not even going to be able to believe the things I say while he's here. Um, 
I'm going to ruin his life. Um, yeah. He, he wasn't able to fix the cable. They had to send another guy after. But did he think you were funny? Uh, I don't think he did. Oh, my God. Well, what he wasn't. He wasn't rude. <laughs> but it's funny. The cable people, like, whenever they come, I act like they're, like, NICU surgeons. Like, they come in the house and I'm just the respect, you know, the, like, oh, thank you so much for, for coming over you won't believe what's been going on when there's moisture in the air. Oh, you want to hear about my walls? Let me tell you about my walls. We have an old house. Do you know what the walls are made of? And they're probably like, they're always like, probably like horsehair plaster. I was like, horsehair plaster? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about my horsehair walls. Um, Sarah, I would give so much to be your cable guy. That would be fun. That'd be a long commute for you, though. Yeah, I would come from Denmark. To tell you I can't fix your cable and they're going to need to send somebody else. Wait, the guy I was telling you about, just to tell <laughs> So he fixed the cable initially. He, he put up a new cable wire right up the pole and across the street, you know, like pulled it across the street and, and attached it. But we didn't realize at the time that he attached it lower than usual. So... On Monday morning, the school bus came to pick up my son. And as soon as it drove away, it ripped the cable <laughs> And it took us a while to put it together where it's like, huh, this is so weird. The cable seemed to stop working. I mean, the uh, internet at about 7.15 a.m. But then we found it on the ground. <laughs> he just strung it to. See, I should stop joking around with the cable people because that probably makes it hard for them to do their job. Yeah, I think that if you were less funny your cable would have worked at 716. Yeah, stop trying to get attention. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I would have strung this up higher, but this woman is just killing me. It's hard when you're bent over laughing <laughs> to reach as high as the cable. On a ladder. That's right. <laughs> All right. Will you tell me something that makes you laugh really hard now, lately? Anytime someone tells me a story where they said something that kind of got them into trouble and everyone around them was really embarrassed like that always me. <laughs> I was really really hard to that like and then you know I made this comment and <laughs> nobody appreciated I got kicked out of that place I was asked to stop coming that always makes me laugh when other people are humiliated but it feels like it could have been your humiliation yeah I always yeah yeah any kind of outlier comedy uh what else I still like like wholesome kind of like little bird comedy just stuff that you know like things that just happen that that where there's like nothing about it that's uh you know dark mm -hmm. that's kind of nice when something like that comes together in a way that you're like oh my god that's just so funny and like it doesn't make me think of like suicide or sex or <laughs> Like, it's actually just innocently fun. <laughs> you told me a story last time about your kid. There was like a lunch bag with your kid's <laughs> name on it that had cat food in it and that your whole family thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, it was a big Ziploc bag, the kind you would reuse for things. It was really big. <laughs> and I don't remember, someone at school had made it for him for something he had to carry. And I can't remember what it was, but yeah, they had written his name 
in those letters where there's like a tiny ball on each mm-hmm. end of the letter. That I love adorable. those letters. Yes. Yeah. Me yeah. too. It's like, it's so innocent. It's so whimsical. And it said his name, his little name in the marker. And that bag ended up getting um, upcycled to <laughs> excess cat food bag for the dry cat food. So for a long time, anytime we were getting out cat food, uh, we would have to get out this plastic bag with the little letters on it that said Ronan. <laughs> it was just full of dry cat food and it just everyone in the kitchen would laugh. I was like, oh, we got to get Ronan's cat food bag. <laughs> I don't know. So stupid, but. That stuff does feel so good, though. It does. When we can all agree that cat food yeah. bags with children's names on them are hilarious. <laughs> It's nice to have little inside jokes in a family. Yeah. Like that's only kind of been happening for us. It's increased over the past couple of years, but uh, that's like a really nice thing about, I think, yeah, having a family, just those things. It's like, they're not funny to anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really like that too. Thank you. Well, maybe we're related. Oh, that would be great. Then we could be in a family and have inside jokes. We already do. We have like the cable guy. Yeah. We have yep. like uh, running. Running. How we're, we're worried about you, about running. Yep. You could do an intervention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always kind of wanted to, to kind of run. I don't know. I've, I've gone through like little running, uh, you know, stints. And um, a long time ago, I remember once, it's before my husband and I were married. I was like, I think I'm going to go for a run and basically this is gonna make my husband sound horrible but he's not he's really nice but he basically kind of like talked me out of it like <laughs> he was like okay he's like you really want to go do that and it, it told me he wasn't trying to like keep me down or anything he was just like a therapist helps you find your truth like he was just bringing me around to like okay so you're gonna what you're gonna and go run you'll get tired you'll be tired I feel like your husband lives in my head <laughs> and you'll come home and and you'll be tired you know <laughs> you're right I don't think I do want to go running like, yeah, just watch tv with me <laughs> really feel like I don't need your husband I can accomplish that myself but I uh, just talk you talk you out of your ambitions yeah <laughs> You I might really... fail. No, <laughs> you hate failing. You have you to take a shower fail. afterwards. Your hair looks pretty <laughs> yeah. good right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> you just had a shower this morning. That's wasteful. You don't Mm-mm. want to waste water like that. Mm-mm. Yep. I can, you can call me the next time you're worried about running. <laughs> I can help you too. A sponsor, an anti-running <laughs> sponsor. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go for a run. I can just feel it. It's... No, Sarah, think about what that would mean. Think through the run. That's yep. what they say in the uh, Think through the drink. Mm-hmm. Think through that run. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do that to yourself? No. Thanks for listening to Why We Laugh. And thank you so much to Sarah Hutto, who gracefully did this interview for a second time after we had so many tech problems the first time and who is just so cool. Look her up. Click the link in the show notes. Read her stuff and be delighted. Um, the music you're listening to right now and in the intro is Carefree to Careful by Poddington Bear. The music in the confidence ad is Corporate Ad by Scott Holmes. 
And um, thanks to our sponsors, Confidence and Beanbag Chairs. Get them both. <laughs>